Welcome to another episode of the Mondo Show. I have a very special guest with me. Thank you for joining me. We are going to be talking about some serious stuff today, but maybe we'll ask Kevin about some personal things that you may not know (laughs) that Kevin does behind the scenes, but I want to welcome you and I want to thank you for standing with me, watching the program every week. I'm getting your letters, I'm getting your emails, I'm getting your Facebook messages, Instagram, even TikTok. Oh, listen, we got to be where people are. If we're going to be an impactful generation, we got to go where people live. We can't just run away and preach from a cave. We got to go with strength, with courage, with authority, knowing that we have been anointed for this moment and God has given us the power and the authority over the darkness. I've never understood why Christians want to preach from a cave and not go into the war, into battle. I was taught growing up that if you're going to go into a fight, you got to go and run towards it. Now, you may get a little hit in, in broken arms and broken legs, but I can tell you that it makes a difference when you run to it instead of running away from it. And we are in that hour that this generation wants to know the truth. This generation wants to understand why does, why does the gospel mean so much to us? I want you to understand something. I never thought about it this way, but when you preach from a pulpit, a lot of ministers, they joke around with it. They want to make fun about it. They, 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 you know, they want to make you feel good. Yet for me, you're contending for someone's life. You're contending for, for someone's destiny and for their purpose. Not that that's not fun, but yet when I found myself at a crossroad, I didn't need the preacher to make me laugh. I didn't need the preacher to give me a joke. If I wanted a joke, I can go down to Hollywood Boulevard and go to the comedy store and get a laugh there. At that moment that my sister said three of the most powerful statements that changed my life, what if God is real? What if prayer works? And what if you have a different destiny? That was the beginning of the foundation. So when the preacher stepped up into the pulpit, He knew he was at war for my spirit. He was at war for my destiny. He was at war for my soul. And I want you to understand that America is at that pivotal point. We don't need to be joking around with it anymore. We can't be playing around with our families, with our marriage, with our children. They're at war with us, Kevin, and yet the church is playing games. Listen, my special guest is Reverend. (laughs) No, he's so humble. He don't like to be called reverend, but he's a reverend. He is the co-chair of the return. He is president of Global Strategic Alliance. He's an advisor to national and global leaders within the business world, political world, and faith communities. More than that, he is my friend. He is my brother. And I didn't ask you for permission, but I consider you one of my mentors. Because anytime you get around someone that speaks into your life, they begin to mentor you without even knowing, but you are a good friend. Let me start from the top. What is the state of the church? What is the state of the pulpit in America? Because it still holds power today. 
Well, it's it's uh, just as John 15 says, you know, it talks about an apostate church. And I believe that the church today is is not all. There's a remnant bride. There's a remnant group of believers that are praying in their prayer closets, and the Holy Spirit is speaking the same message to them. But the church, for the most part, has been apostate, and we've allowed the world to come into the church to the degree that uh, we define success in the church by world standards. Mm. And so uh, even worship, to some degree, has become the worship of worship. And so instead of the worshiping the king, and so we have got to step back into the presence. I believe the church has, in some extent, traded the presence for programs, and we got so caught up on our programs that we have to now unleash ourselves from these programs and just come back into the presence of the King and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and work. You know, in the Acts 2 church in 1 Corinthians, it says one gave a song, one gave a word, one gave a, a prophetic tongue. And, and so we, we, this is where the body ministers to the body. And so many times we sit and stare at the back of a head from a, uh, a pew while we have a pastor up in the pulpit. And yet we, we, we need to do life as church in a community where we come together. And, and in small groups, you know, we had a, a woman who came to a small group. And afterwards, after the small group meeting, we would have a time of fellowship and food. And she would always leave. And I thought, you know, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and so finally one day she stayed for the food. And I said, what made you stay for the food? And she said, well, the girl that gave her testimony talked about how her father abused her and, and how that when she came to Christ, she found her new identity in Christ. And she said, so I felt so unworthy because I had the same testimony, but now I know I can have a new identity in Christ, so I stayed for the fellowship. Wow. Well, I thought she was being cocky, <laughs> but really she didn't feel worthy. So you don't get that in a church, but you get it in a small group. So I believe we're headed back to the Acts 2 church or we will inherit the mantle of the Acts 2 church where the body's ministering to the body. And uh, unfortunately, with that will come the persecution that the Acts 2 church had. And listen, I love pastors. I'm, I, I pray for pastors. Yes. I'm not against pastors. Matter of fact, one of the hardest callings you can ever have and step into is to be a pastor, especially in this generation. The culture is different. The language is different. You're, you're trying to edit yourself. You're trying to modify yourself. And some pastors are going woke. Some pastors are being too mean. I mean, there's everything. But I want you to know, I love you. If you're a pastor, I is a pastor. I've been called to. I've pastored churches yes, the yes. last 25 years of my life in and out. But I want you to know something. We have a moral and spiritual responsibility. You're a teacher of heart. This man can teach. This man is one of my favorite people because you know the scripture. And you've been around men and women of God that understand Scripture. I got to ask you this, and I, man, I wanted to get into some, you know, just laid back stuff, but we're not living in a laid back generation right now. Everything's tense. Everything is, is the pressure. The Bible calls it tribulation. The Greek for that is the pressure. Where are we, Kevin? According to Scripture, there's a lot of, Facebook prophets, there's a lot of Twitter prophets, there's a lot of people self-proclaimed prophets, yet they're only prophesying nice things about us, but yet the headlines are telling us different. The Bible is telling us different. I saw something on your notes on the Jim Baker show that caught my attention, that seven signs that we're living in the last days. 
can I get you to give me those seven signs or is it going to take me several weeks? <laughs> no, no, no. I because can... <laughs> listen, everything this man teaches is all in scripture. I mean, every few words is his own opinion or sentence, but the rest of it is all scripture. Yeah. You have the, you're like Bobby Connor. <laughs> you can quote scripture like no one I've ever met, but yet you understand where we are right now. So maybe you can give us three out of the seven. Well, we have a book coming out called 1159, The Midnight Hour, and it talks about where we are. And, and there's 57 signs that is are, are unpacked in Matthew 24, societal beliefs, societal values, excessive events that will happen in the end times. And so uh, seven reasons why we're living in the end times. And so when you go back to, uh, you know, let's go back to Jeremiah 6, chapter 6, and verses 10 through 12, and all the way through the end of that chapter, Jeremiah is preaching a message that was really a dual prophecy. It was for then, and it's still for today. So in this, what I call last hour, and I'm not a prognosticator or a date setter, but I think based upon where we are on the timeline, we could be entering Daniel's 70th week. This could be a period of the last seven or 14 years, uh, wherever you're looking at it there. In Genesis 47, it talks about the famine. And I think we're seeing those famines re-engineered today where uh, we're talking about losing your money, losing your cattle, losing your land, and then becoming subservient to a system that uh, is, is fast approaching. So, uh, but we, we highlight all of these things uh, where men become lovers of selves and children become rebellious, and we see the increase in uh, geophysical events and man-made disasters and this economic collapse that's coming. And, and there are actually a few things that uh, I made a note on my phone before I came in today, and, and you've heard this before, but talk about five things in biblical prophecy. We're looking at a world government, Revelation 13, 1 through Verses one and two, this is the kingdom of the Antichrist, will which will usurp authority over all the world. Number two, a world religion, the kingdom of the false prophet. And we have a false prophet in the Vatican, I believe today. A precursors to the mark of the beast. The the UN has this better than cash alliance that gives us this number of digital uh, monies, which can render us useless if we don't agree with the environmental social governance standards. And the peace agreement that's going to be signed with the Palestinians, uh, which is coming up. We're walking right into Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9.27. And then finally, the Sixth Trumpet War, which emanates out of the Euphrates region, and it kills a lot of people. And we're, we're on the verge of that with Hezbollah on the northern border of Lebanon with 150,000 missiles pointing into Israel with the war drums are beating. And now we see Saudi Arabia making... Uh, diplomatic arrangements with Iran, which, uh, you know, five years ago would have been impossible. Mm. So we're seeing all of these things heat up. So I think now is the time to make sure your oil lamps are full and you're in the foxhole with those people who you know you need to be with, and uh, God's doing it. And you're right, we're in a war. You know, when a, when a um, wildebeest, you know what a wildebeest is in Africa, when they're birthed, they drop out of the womb on the ground, and they have 30 seconds to get up on their legs and start running. Wow. Because the lions are in the woods watching for those young wildebeest, and they come and attack them, and many of them die before they even get up on their legs to start living their life. 
And I think that's what we're seeing today with this younger generation. We're at such a war. The lions are out there looking whom they may devour before they even get on their feet. We have young people today that not only don't know who they are, they don't even know what they are. Mm. And so we have, and you know my story about fatherhood, uh, and I ended up in, in jail like you did. You know, we have a fatherhood issue in America today. And my mother was going through a divorce when I was in the womb. And at the age of 13, I found out that my stepfather wasn't my real father. I ran away from home. You know my story. I ended up in Las Vegas. I ended up in jail at the age of 16 with a terrible record. And I had an epiphany in jail that night when I cried out to the Lord because I had joined a gang like you had. And I had shed the blood from my hand on a piece of paper with my family's names and burned that, that paper to mix with the, the blood and the ashes of that burned paper. But that night in jail when I knew I was going to go and be sentenced, that I remembered my mother said, cry out to the name of Jesus, and I did. And that morning I saw my parents for the first time in that courtroom thinking how badly I had defamed their name. Mm. And yet the judge, because I was a minor, let me off of all the charges, which were tremendous. And uh, I was able to go home with my parents that day and get a new start. If we don't have mentors, if we don't have men of God who are establishing the altars in their homes, praying with their, their children, their family, their wives, and digging into the Word of God to, to be the light that leads their path with their families, America is, is on a slippery slope of no return. Listen, this man, you sit with some of the most influential people in the world today. You advise a lot of people. You've met a lot of great people. Yet, I've always told you, God, I'm praying that God will give you the open door for you to step out on what God has called you to do. You help people. You, you minister to people. But yet, your story is a Nikki Cruz story. Your story when people see you, they see you as this white guy dressed really nice and, 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 and you have the right verbiage and you bring people together. You're like the mayor for the Christian community. You know everybody, you network, yet your story is so profound because the compassion and the grace of God in your life, if people knew what you had been through to what you're doing now, they could not believe it. I sit around sometimes saying, my God, God took that and made him into this and still developing you into what God has called you to do. I really believe you should write your story one day because it's, it's one of the most impactful stories of God's mercy and grace to take you from what you went through and then showing the, the, the ups and downs. But you never gave up on God. Why didn't you give up on God? Because you saw the, the, the reason why I asked that is because you saw the underbelly of religion of the 80s that changed the world forever on how they looked at televangelism, how they looked at your church. And a lot of people are still hurt from the 80s. You went through that, yet why do you still love Christ today? Well, there was a foundation given to me as a young boy, and it says when you do that with your children, when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And so... It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just kept after me, kept after me. God's long arm of salvation is so great, he never stops pursuing us. And, and I fought it for a long time. I felt like Jonah. I ran from it. But, you know, there's a generation now that's being risen up, 
And I, and I, I told uh, Jim the other day when we were talking with him, Mondo, I said, God's ridiculous plan for the end times <laughs> is choosing unqualified people like us. And uh, your story, your story is 26 years in the making. Mm. You're at the Dream Center. Tommy Barnett throws you in, in, in charge of taking care of Jim Baker. And 26 years later, here we are. So God is a God of the, of the Alpha and Omega. You see, Satan is an alpha male. He was never born of a woman, so he has no authority. He can only trick you into, uh, through your own words, coming into agreement with him. Yeah. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning and the ending. Jesus was born of a woman, lived a life just like us, yet without sin. And so he knows the ending. So the devil says, I've got Mondo in this gang, and, and I'm going to ruin his life. He's going to die early. And yet the Lord shows up, mm. and he rewrites the story. Yeah. And the omega is the ending that Satan never knows. <laughs> and so God's ridiculous plan for the end times is to take people like you and I and others and your whole family. You know, we, we call your life story from survival to revival. To revival. And so in 26 years of going through this, uh, being prepared, being preserved, and now being promoted into ministry, you know, Jim and Lori gave you the foundation. Uh, you dug into the Word. The Holy Spirit's been refining you through all these years. For what purpose? You're the Joshua generation, Mondo. Wow. We have Elijah had Elijah. Uh, you know, and and Paul had Timothy, and Moses had Joshua. So there's a younger generation. We call it Operation Next Come Generation. On. Man, you just took all my questions. I forget <laughs> it. I'm gonna, all right, keep going. Operation this Next Generation. Because, listen, we didn't plan this. I didn't give you any questions. You just took all my questions, but I love this. We ought to make shirts because I think you are a part of that generation. You are a part of the Joshua generation. And I can can I tell you this? My generation needs you because there's a wisdom of the grandfathers, but it's also wisdom of the next generation of fathers. It's like you move from that stage to this stage, and now you're here because you said three powerful things on yesterday's program. You talked about the blood. You talked about repentance. And you talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three of the most controversial issues in the church today. Yeah. How could this be? Okay, keep going. Okay, so if, if you're, I just want to talk to the young people who may be watching today. If you're a young person and you have what both Mondo and I face were fatherhood issues, I tell you something, there is a father that loves you so much that if you knew how much he loved you, that he came and he gave his own life for you that he has a destiny for you. He has a plan for your life. And it's not anything that you, you could imagine. His, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he takes you on the biggest adventure of your life and things change. And, and Mondo, I, I couldn't believe, I mean, here you are, look at these tattoos and all this <laughs> stuff, but you are so full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. You're so full. You've been refined by the fire. Mm, yes, and, God. And, and God has raised you up now to speak into that camera to a whole new generation that can consecrate themselves, set themselves apart. And when the Holy Spirit invades their vessels, oh man, they become mm. a mighty army. 
And so if you're out there today and you have no hope, I'm, I'm telling you, there is hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope, and he wants to come into your life. He wants to invade your person, and he wants to change you in, in a way that you can never imagine. But he will do it. And, and as we allow the Holy Spirit, we trust the Holy Spirit to do things within us, the more I, I want to trust him to do more. And so I am so excited for this next generation. Young people that are watching are going to come here. They're going to experience revival. You're going to preach revival. You're going to be out preaching. We're going to do great and mighty things that we know not of. Listen, I, I want you to pray for the next generation. There's a prayer that is different than any other prayer for this generation. And I believe that you are one of those fathers for this generation. You understand us. I mean, the fact that what you went through, when I look at you, you don't look like you've been through anything other than, wow, this is a great success. This is what the world thinks. You're a white privileged man. Uh, <laughs> That's the most ludicrous, ridiculous statement someone can ever make up. Because if they knew for one moment what you went through, there's no privilege. Yeah. There's no, it was nothing but brokenness, rejection, abandonment issues. Yet God gave you the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you were, to yes. be able to pick yourself back up and start working, start going. Can you just pray for this generation? I believe there's a special yes. prayer, and we're going to put this online because I believe this prayer is ignite you, is going to bring something inside of you that is going to arise and step into and run into the battle. It's not time to retreat. One of the greatest boxers in East L.A., California, taught me this. It's not how well you can fight. It's not how well you can throw combinations and move. And it's how well you can take a hit. And if this generation doesn't understand how to take a hit, you, you're not going to last long. The battle is a long way. I remember hearing several boxers uh, the last few days say, man, this generation of boxers don't understand what boxing is because boxing in our day used to be 15, 20 rounds. Now they only want to fight six rounds, 10 rounds. Yet the training behind it and the training for me was spending time with the Holy Spirit, spending time reading the Word. When everybody else was running to conferences and getting invited to speak, God said, you got to get in the Word. Right now it's not time to be thinking about if you're not getting invited. Right now it's time to have a personal relationship, a personal encounter with me. I want you to experience me because if you taste what I'm going to give you now, you're not going to last. But if you stay with me, stay consistent, then I'm going to use you later in your life. Well, it's starting to feel like later in my life. And I can see the maturity that God is allowing me to experience by being around people like you, Jim Baker, R.T. Kendall's, and the greats that have understood the test of time. Amen. Pray for our generation. Pray with me today, if you would. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are such a good father. I thank you, Lord, that I have nothing. I am nothing. But with you and through the power of your Holy Spirit, your son can come and live in me, and I can have the identity that I was created for. My identity in you, Crow Christ, is so great. I surrender my life to you now. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into me, and I surrender to you. And I ask for you to teach me and to guide me and to comfort me and to counsel me and to do all the things, O oh Holy Spirit, that you can do. 
pray that prayer with me today. And, and I can tell you this, the Lord Jesus Christ will enter into your life. And it will be the beginning of a journey that will teach you. And I pray, oh God, may you give grace and mercy to all those who are watching today that your Holy Spirit would flood into that room wherever they are, strengthen them, and bring the hope of glory, the hope of your Son, Jesus Christ, into each and every life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. As Amen. Kevin prayed that prayer, I want to leave you with this scripture because last night I was working until 1 a.m., and God gave me a scripture for you as I was praying about today. And I said, God, give me a scripture. And I began to see you being full of anxiety, you being filled with so much depression, so much turmoil in your mind. No one can understand what you're battling right now. Yet, it's something that God wants to remind you because you're trying to find peace in the wrong places. You're going to the club trying to find peace. You're trying to go on dating sites to try to find peace. You're trying to join every club that you can trying to find peace. Yet the peace is not there. Can I show you where peace is? Watch this. Write this down. John chapter 14, verse 27. This is where you find the peace that you're looking for. This is where you're, the peace that you've been searching for. The peace is not in the past. The peace is not in your future. The peace is not on the girl you're trying to win over. The peace is not trying to get your ex-boyfriend back. The peace is not trying to get even with your enemies. The peace is not where you think that you're going to get it from by hanging around people that don't suit you anymore, people that don't fit in your life anymore. Yet you're trying to go back and try to find the peace of mind. Yet it is not there. It's not even in the quiet corners anymore. The quiet corners where you're trying to find yourself and, and I just need some zen in my life. This is where you're going to find peace. Step one, grab your Bible. That's the road to peace. Step number two, acknowledge that you don't have peace. That will give you peace. <laughs> Knowing that you don't have it all together. And by the way, it's okay not to have it all together. It's okay to be messed up and broken and bruised and rejected and be casted out and not feel like even if you're dealing with transgenderism in your life, even if you're feeling confusion about your sexuality, you think that by fitting into the norm, you're going to find the peace by transitioning. And that's not what peace is. The Bible says that the battle is in the mind. This is how you win that battle. Watch this. Peace I leave with you. We already have it if we know him. My peace, that's Jesus speaking, my peace, not your peace, my peace, talking about Jesus, I give to you, watch this, not as the world gives do I give to you, let your heart, be, let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid, or peace, listen, fear, troubles in our heart. They leave when we understand and acknowledge that Jesus Christ made peace at the cross for you and I to forgive us of our sins. The key is you got to repent. You got to acknowledge that you, you, you're in trouble. Acknowledge that you walked in fear. Yet, when you acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, immediately, almost instantly, the peace of God begins to go over you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I got to go. 
Just remember this, that no matter what is happening around you, keep the faith. It's going to be all right. I want to thank Kevin Jessup for being with me today. Tune in next week. I have a special guest joining me that we're going to be talking about something very important that is happening in the world. And I think that you can be a part of the solution. Till next time, remember, it's going to be all right. Bye-bye.